0: Across generations campaign i want to invite you to join us in this study as we continue to explore god's word to see what god says about how we are called to invest in his kingdom for the next generation to help minister to those who are far from god <clears throat> did i don't know if you follow church statisticians but church statisticians tell us today that millennials those born from 1981 to 1996 are leaving the church in record numbers I'm actually a part of Generation X, but the generation after me is the millennials. And a recent study found that 59% of millennials who were raised in the church have left the church. That's why so many churches are are very thin when it comes to 20s and 30 year olds today. And according to the Pew Research Forum, only 19% of millennials identify themselves as evangelical Christians. And our denomination is called ECO. It's the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. And so that we would fall under that category. But only 19% of millennials are identifying themselves as evangelical Christians. In fact, the fastest growing religious group among millennials is the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Those who have no religious affiliation at all. 36% of millennials say they have no religious affiliation today. Only 19% of them are evangelical Christians. 36% say, I have no religious affiliation. If something doesn't happen soon, the millennials will be the most unchurched, de-churched generation in the history of our country. Now, this past week, I was actually in Denver attending a board meeting of Denver Seminary. And while we were there, they, they pointed us to a new study that's been done for Generation Z. My children are a part of Generation Z. They, they're after the millennials. Uh, my daughter Hannah, who's 14, and my daughter Elizabeth, who's 12, and my son John, who, who's recently going to turn nine uh, tomorrow. Uh, he's a part of Generation Z. And this study revealed that if Generation Z follows the pattern of the millennials, then it's estimated that 35 million youth who were raised in the church will leave the church in the next 30 years. Over a million youth will leave the church every year for the next 30 years. That's amazing. What are we going to do to help reverse that trend? What can we as the body of Christ do to make sure that we're reaching the next generation with the good news of the gospel? To find out what we should do, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bibles to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. It uh, may be found on page, there it is, 1039, 1039 of your Red Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who still speaks to us today. And that as we read this familiar parable, God, we pray that you might Give us eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. And give us a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. put this parable in its context. The first century Roman-Greco world, 90% of the Roman-Greco empire was rural. Almost everybody was growing something. It was an agrarian society. So when Jesus told this story, it would have been no surprise to them that a seed that falls in the path is not going to produce any fruit, And, and a seed that falls among rocky soil is not going to have the depth of root necessary to produce true fruit or be really fruitful. And of course, seed that falls among rocky soil This is not going to have a chance to really grow or be fruitful because it will be choked out by the, the thorns as well. What would have stood out, though, to the first century audience listening to this parable by Jesus is that, gosh, the farmer is certainly sloppy with his seeds. <laughs> Shouldn't he be just a little more intentional to where he allows his seed to fall? The second thing that would have stood out to them is that well, while it, 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 he's sloppy with the seed, the, the few seeds that fall among fertile soil, good soil, Produce a remarkable harvest. 30, 60, sometimes 100 times that which was planted. You see, in first century Palestine, it was understood that a seed might produce seven to 10 times what was planted. That would be a good harvest. So, produce 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted was unheard of. That was miraculous. The third thing that would have stood out to the crowd listening to Jesus give this parable was the enigmatic, bizarre line at the end. Where Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Don't we all have ears? <laughs> I know some of us, are hearing is better than others, but don't we all have ears? What does Jesus mean? Let him who has ears hear. To find out what Jesus means. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's keep reading. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand You will indeed see, but never perceive. It's from Isaiah 6 that we just read. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundred, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't we all have ears? to hear? Hasn't God given us all ears so that we might hear? Evidently, not spiritually. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples when they ask Jesus why he speaks to the crowds in parables. Parables are stories or or like riddles that, that have a meaning that you have to kind of unravel or unwrap in order to truly understand what is being said. Jesus says in verse 11, to you it has been given to know the source of the kingdom of heaven, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given This doesn't seem very fair, does it? It doesn't seem very fair that some have been given ears to hear and others have not been given ears to hear the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Why does Jesus say that only some have been given ears to hear? Before this parable is told in Matthew 13, you can see in Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' ministry is, is being rejected by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. In fact, in Matthew 12... Jesus does a very good thing. There's a man with a withered hand who shows up on the Sabbath. And and Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. But he does it on the Sabbath. And because he did it on the Sabbath, the Pharisees get upset with Jesus. They're too blind to see that what Jesus is doing is a very, very good thing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24, Jesus begins to condemn entire communities that are failing to repent. Even though he has preached and done some amazing signs in those communities, In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24, we read, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades?' For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it would be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Clearly, Jesus has never read Del Carnegie's book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. I mean, this is not the kind of sermon that's going to make people happy, right? Jesus is giving some hard words because he's not seeing the kind of repentance that his message and his miracles should lead to. So clearly, not everyone had ears to hear what Jesus said had to say. Jesus tells this parable about the four types of soil only after being rejected by the Pharisees to explain why some are receptive to what he has to say and why others reject his message. He who has ears, let him hear. How can we make sure that we're the kind of people who always hear the word of God? How can we make sure that we're the kind of people who produce 30 times, 60 times, 100 times that which was planted, that we become the the fruit-bearing Christians that God has called us to be, that God wants us to be to the glory of his name? I believe that if we want to be the kind of fruit-bearing Christians who produce 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted, if we want to be the kind of church that helps reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ and continues to bear fruit among all generations... I believe we need to listen closely, pray fervently and so generously. We need to listen closely, pray fervently and so generously. Listen closely. Notice that Jesus gives his explanation of his parable to his disciples, to those who were closest to him, to those who had been with him. That's who he reveals the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to. Yes, if we want to know exactly what Jesus wants us to do, we need to draw near to Jesus so that we might hear him speak to us. And of course, today in the 21st century, we hear Jesus speak most clearly through his word. So every day we need, as the disciples did, they gathered near Jesus. Every day we need to to gather around God's word. We need to read God's word and prayerfully ask that God might reveal his will to us as we pray and meditate on God's word. But we're also not supposed to do it in isolation. No, we should do it in in Christ-centered community because Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that when two or more are gathered together in his name, he is there with them. So the word of God is not intended simply to be read alone in isolation all the time, but rather to be read in community so that we might hear the Holy Spirit speaking through each one of us as we read God's word and meditate on God's word and, and discuss God's word and how we might apply it to our lives today. One of the reasons we want everyone to have one of these study guides and take it to their Sunday school class and take it to their men's group or their women's group is so that we might take the journey together, that we might discuss and discover together what God is calling us to do both individually and corporately as one body, how we might sow to the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. Now, I know for some of us, we may think, gosh, I heard a sermon on Matthew 13 and now you want me to talk about it in Sunday school? Or I heard a sermon on Matthew 13, now you want me to talk about it in my small group? Yes. (laughs) You see, I, I just spent the last week 12 hours reading numerous commentaries about Matthew 13. This is a parable. There's lots of ways to interpret a parable. If we really want to unravel what this text means and how we might apply it to our lives, we need not just to hear it once, we need to discuss it even further in small group discussions with one another. For Jesus tells us, <clears throat> when we are gathered together in his name, he is there. Christ's presence is made most known, clearly known to us when we are in community together, and his word is most clearly heard as we discuss it together, trying to discover how we might apply his word today. You know, one of the things that's most amazing to me about scripture is that I can read a text, you know, Today And then five years later, based on where I am in the season of life, I can read that same text. And God will speak to me in a different way about what I'm supposed to do to apply that text to my life. All of us come from different places, different stages. We need to discuss God's word together. We need to draw near to Jesus as the body of Christ so that we might listen closely to what he has to say. Of course, as we listen closely to the text this morning, we can't help but notice... That Jesus tells his disciples in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven are given to the disciples. They don't discover the secrets of the kingdom of heaven on their own. No, God makes it known to them through Jesus Christ as they draw near to Christ. It's true, the disciples have put put themselves in a place where they might hear the secrets of the kingdom by drawing near to Jesus. But ultimately, it's God who gives them ears to hear, to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. This is consistent with what Jesus had said previously in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 27 when we read, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. God is the one who reveals himself to us. We don't go find God, God comes and finds us, for God loves us so much. That he sent his one and only son here to this earth to be born as a baby in a lowly manger so that he might teach us, so that he might heal us, and ultimately so that he might save us. For Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father and then died on, the, on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. Then on the third day, Jesus rose again and conquered sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life and the the gift of a new life if we simply believe in him. Yes, God has shown us his great love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In order to hear that message, we must draw near to Christ, the greatest example of God's love the world has ever known. And the good news is, Jesus invites us to come to Him. For in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, we read, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we read through the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus is the one who invited his disciples to come and follow him. He is the one who reached out to them. In Matthew 4, Jesus is the one who comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John and says, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is the one who who comes to Matthew while he's at a tax booth collecting his taxes and says, Come, follow me, and Matthew leaves everything to follow Jesus. Yes, if we want to be the kind of church that bears fruit for the kingdom of God, if we want to be the kind of church that helps reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, we need to not only listen closely to Jesus, but we need to pray fervently. We need to pray fervently that the Holy Spirit would begin to do a work in the lives of the young people that we come in contact with, so they might hear what God's word has to say. As I heard Luis Palau, the great evangelist, once say, we have to talk to God about people before we start talking to people about God. We need to pray for those that we know who are far from God. We need to pray that God would give them ears to hear, that God would open their hearts, that they might receive the the good news, that they might become the the fruit-bearing Christians God is calling them to be. And Lent, as you know, is a a scene of prayer and preparation as we spend 40 days praying, just as Jesus spent 40 days praying and fasting before he launched his ministry. We need to spend 40 days praying, asking God to guide us in how we might reach that next generation for the kingdom of Christ is we need to listen closely to Jesus. We need to pray fervently. And we ultimately need to sow generously. You know, when most Christians read this parable, they tend to focus on the four types of soil and they ask the question, well, what kind of soil am I? What type of soil am I? How can I make sure I'm the fertile soil that produces 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted? Well, this parable is really not about the soils. The subject of the parable is the sower. Look again to what Jesus says in verse 18 of our text this morning. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. Jesus calls it the parable of the sower because the principal character, the one who is initiating all of the activity, is the sower, who is sowing his seed among different soils, as as the first century audience would have heard, they said, man, he is sloppy with the seed. Or maybe he's being generous. Maybe he's being generous because he wants to make sure that every type of soil has an opportunity to bear fruit, even though he knows that many soils will not be receptive to the seed he plants. Jesus knew how the Pharisees would respond to his teaching. Jesus is omniscient. He even knew how the disciples would eventually have their teaching rejected by men, and so he, he tells this parable to warn them, to let them know that, that there will be times when you preach and no one will want to hear what you have to say. But keep preaching anyway because our God is a generous God who sows generously. And he sows generously because our God knows that when when the seed lands in the good soil, the fertile soil, it has the potential and the capacity to produce 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted. Over the last few years, Our youth leaders have been listening closely to Jesus. They have been praying fervently that God would guide them as they try to minister to that next generation for the kingdom of Christ. And as they do so, they have been sowing generously, inviting youth to come and and see by God's amazing grace has begun to penetrate the hearts of some of our young people so that they're now producing 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted. This last January, we had 74 kids go on our youth ski trip. My first year here, we had about 20 kids go on the youth ski trip. On Wednesday nights, we have over 70 kids coming every Wednesday in our Anno house. There's not enough room to hold the number of kids who are showing up to hear the good news of God's love that we have in, in Jesus Christ. I know many people would like for us to simply renovate that house, but you need to know that Bob Vila could not renovate that house. It is beyond repair. We've met with architects and general contractors and structural engineers, and they all tell us the best thing to do is to build a new house. And we listen to our youth. If you want to minister to a 15-year-old, you don't ask a 45-year-old or a 65-year-old or a 75-year-old, how do you reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? You talk to a 15-year-old. The 15-year-olds have all told us that the best thing we can do is, is replicate that house, create something like this. They'll be much larger than our current house that will, will have the capacity to minister to the kids who are coming. They will provide a, a first step into this community, Our church. You see, if you're an unchurched or de-churched kid, it's pretty intimidating to walk into our, our beautiful building with its neo-Gothic style architecture. But if you're a kid who, who hasn't been in a church before, walking into a, a house that looks like a fraternity house, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to be there. And on Friday nights, the kids are gathering after football games, singing karaoke, and, and, and hearing the word of God proclaimed, and, and sharing in fellowship, and lives are being changed for eternity. If we want to be a church... That reaches the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. We've got to listen closely to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling us in his words. Let the little children come unto me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If we want to be a church that reaches the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. We've got to be a church that that prays fervently. Knowing that a Psalm 127 verse 1 tells us that unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain if we want to be the kind of church that reaches the next generation for the kingdom of Christ we've got to be the kind of church that sows generously so that young people will know that they are welcomed here in this place this isn't about a building it's about creating space where young people can build relationships with each other but more importantly a relationship with Jesus Christ a relationship that lasts for all eternity please join me as you pray Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who invites us to join you on the great commission of making disciples of all nations. You've given us a parable to make it clear that we need to sow generously, just as our Heavenly Father has sown generously. We don't know who's going to have ears to hear, Lord, but we know that if we pray, Lord, that by a work of your Spirit, you can give everyone ears to hear. So, God, we pray that, that you would open the hearts of our young people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that all of us would would begin this journey together, that we would pray about how you're calling us to invest in that next generation so that we might have 100% participation. We might give back to you in gratitude for all that you've done for us, that we might make an eternal investment in this campus that will continue to reap a harvest well beyond our time here on this earth. Lord, help us to do all that we can to grow your kingdom. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people sin.